Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It is now the 30th day of August, 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin and former Detroit Tigers star Dan Petrie. Let me tell you how much I love and loathe this part of the year. I love it because we've only got two more days left of August, and then we're in September. Now, if you are a general manager of a baseball team, and I'm not, if your team is within three games, three games of a playoff spot on September 1, pat yourself on the back. You've done your job. You can't ask for anything more than to be within a weekend sweep of a playoff position with a month to go. You're, you have to make up less than a game a week. And at this point, if you're the general manager and you've assembled a team that has got you to that point, then you're basically left to chance. And let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, if I looked at the standings, if I started, I, I stood up, by the way, in case you're wondering, this is going to be one of those kind of podcasts where I have to stand up. I was sitting down and said, no, no, screw that. Get on your feet, Sully. What the hell's the matter with you? It's Tuesday. If you are looking at the standings in April and you say, oh, this team is, you know, four games over 500 or there's something like that, it's absurd to do something like that because it's just one month. It's like it's just the beginning of the year. Relax. Anytime you hear someone talk about, you know, the standings and win-loss records in April, inevitably, you wave your hand at them and say, stop it, it's just one month. It's a long season. Well, that same logic appears at the end of the year, too. Any team could have a good month. Any team could have a crap month. Teams that have won the World Series have had crap months. Teams that have gone on to be losing seasons have had winning months. Every year there's a, a team that makes it at the end of April. Like, oh, man, it looks like the Brewers are in first place. Oh, my God. Oh, the Marlins may actually do it this year. And then they fall apart because the season catches up with them. But it is possible that if you're within striking distance of a postseason spot, that a good month or someone having a bad month just by chance could be the difference between playing in October or not. So if you got to this point in the season where you were within striking distance, you're basically telling your team, hey, you're within, you're within chance. You're within the margin of error of making the postseason. And for that, I love this month. Because, sure, it looks like some races are all wrapped up. But, you know, once in a while you'll see a team completely fall on their face. But I think we're safe to say Washington's going to make the postseason. The Cubs are going to make the postseason. The Rangers are going to make the postseason. 
and um, you know, barring an absolute calamity. Cleveland is getting close to that. But, like, you know, we're also seeing there's going to be some tight races. The NL wildcard is going to be up to anything. The Giants could win the National League West. The Dodgers could win the National League West. And both teams could be at, or the Dodgers could be playing cards when the postseason begins. And same could happen with the Giants. I think they're both even money to win the division and miss the postseason. You look at the Cardinals, you look at the Pirates, you look at the Marlins, and then you know the Mets are one good month away from being back in it. Hell, the Yankees are doing everything they can to climb back in it. And I'm absolutely convinced Kansas City is going to be in it right through the last weekend and watch. They're going to go on and win the pennant again. And so when you get to this point of the year, the difference between a, a fan base potentially getting everything they had ever wished for and a fan base going, well, that's the end of that season, can be a game or two here or there. Remember how the, the, the Mariners nearly made the postseason a couple of years ago. The Angels nearly made the postseason last year. I bet you forgot that. That sometimes these teams are going right to the last day of the season. So when you get to this point, it really comes down to less about, oh, how is this team going to be constructed? You've got the team. It's now down to chance. Now, it helps if you have a bullpen that's not completely worn down. It helps if your starting pitching isn't a disaster. It helps if you're not bleeding all over the place. But if the Dodgers have showed us this year, you can have more people on the disabled list than matching the highest disabled list total in history and still be in first place in late August. You can win. You can win. And somewhere's out there, what are these teams? It looks like, you know, the, the odds are right now the World Series is going to be the Cubs and the Rangers. Could very well be the Indians and the Nationals. Hell, it could be the Royals and the Marlins. We don't know yet. But it's a wonderful time of the year for that reason. And what also drives me bananas is engaging in sports conversation with people who are not who are not you all listening to your pal Sully or or going on Twitter and following me. Try to engage with with human beings that we have to interact with in real life and not in the earbuds. Because what's going on? This is why I don't watch ESPN anymore. This is why I don't look at the sports section anymore. Because with all this great potential baseball, what are we going to be hearing about? We're going to be hearing about Tony Romo's back. We're going to be hearing about uh, Tom Brady slightly deflating a football two years ago and whether or not Colin Kaepernick stood up during the, the, the goddamn national anthem. And that's going to dominate this month. Don't even turn on your local sports talk radio station. Don't even turn on ESPN if you want to have anything talking about these pennant races. We're going to have roundtable discussions on Colin Kaepernick. And it's, it's going to drive me bonkers. You know, we're still talking about deflated footballs.
It would have been nice if all the outrage we've heard over deflated footballs and standing up during the national anthem, it would have been nice if one-tenth of that outrage could have been towards domestic violence in the NFL, but I guess I'm asking too much from people. Wake me when the Super Bowl's over. Okay, I couldn't care less. And for those of you who are also sick of that, well, guess what? As I talked about the River Sully, get a raft. Just float on down the river with me. This is going to be an NFL-free zone. Unless Tim Tebow makes it to the major leagues. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you another thing I've had enough of this year is people dying. We've had people dying this year. You know, and you know, great people in baseball. Joe Garagiola this year. We've got great people in movies. Alan Rickman died this year. And we lost David Bowie. We lost Muhammad Ali. We lost... Prince, I mean, my God, every time you look up, someone else great died. I've lost three members of my family this year. One of them was only a few years older than me. It's been too much death going on this year. I want the Reaper to take a break. You've met your quota. You know, had it. Had it with all the Damn death. It's just disgusting. And what? We lost another absolute, in my opinion, titan. Someone who is, you should look upon as one of the greats ever. And in a strange way, I think everyone agrees that he's great. Everyone agrees that he's wonderful. But I think, I hope now, people truly realize how great he was. I'm talking about Gene Wilder. I'm going to tie it back to baseball. Hold on, don't worry. I'm a, I'm a rabid Gene Wilder fan. As someone who cut his teeth in, in comedy and filmmaking, Gene Wilder, uh, in the world of comedy, was, I think, one of the greats. And, and I always find it bizarre that when people listed the greats of all time, in terms of comedic forces in, in, in cinema, that his name didn't always come up. And I think it's because he gets associated with other people. He gets associated as almost the right-hand man of some people. And, and when you look at him, it's no, he was a genius. He's one of the few people who have been nominated for an Academy Award as both a writer and as an actor. And to be nominated on both of those fronts in the world of comedy is quite an accomplishment. But his performance, when you take a look at the breadth of his career, what he offered us, I mean, when, when you know, the, the nice thing about the internet is that that meme that goes around of, uh, Willy Wonka looking kind of condescendingly at someone, and that turns into a meme of, you know, basically pointing out hypocritical uh, statements that people make. Now, the th I'm not a huge meme guy, but I'm glad that exists because if for no other reason, it has burned the image of Gene Wilder into another 
generation, and hopefully they will discover him. Uh, it's funny that Gene Wilder, in his time, may not have been as appreciated as he could have been when you think it's this bizarre statement that, that the producers was not a big hit when it came out. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory were not big, that was not a big hit when it came out. And yet, they're both classics. People afterwards just realize what great pictures they are and how timeless they are. The producers, the Gene Wilder's scenes with Zero Mostel are still incredibly funny, but he comes about them with, he doesn't just go for the laugh, there's a reality to the absurdity that he brings to it. There's a reality he brings to the, 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 the mind-boggling absurdity of Willy Wonka. And I'm sorry, Matthew Broderick, who played uh, Bloom in the other version of The Producer. I'm sorry, Johnny Depp, who played Willy Wonka in the other crappy Willy Wonka film. No one will ever think of your performances. They're going to be Gene Wilder's forever. And then, of course, he did the Mel Brooks, more Mel Brooks films. Young Frankenstein's considered to be, if not the greatest comedy of all time, one of them. And he's incredible in it. And he stepped in in the last minute to do Blazing Saddles. And he's amazing in it. His morons line in Blazing Saddles is a line that, no matter how many times I see it, I burst out laughing. And then he goes with Richard Pryor to Silver Streak. Does Stir Crazy. Did a couple other films later that weren't that great, but he was still really funny in them. And people think of those as, oh, that's a Mel Brooks film, Young Frankenstein. That's a Richard Pryor film. But it's, when was Mel Brooks better than with Gene Wilder? When was Marty Feldman and Zero Mostel better than bouncing off of Gene Wilder? When, think of all the horrible films Richard Pryor made. When was he better than being on screen with Gene Wilder. He made, he wasn't just great, he brought the best out of everybody. Everybody. And that greatness is something that I cherish. And I was trying to think of who was like that? Who was someone who was, we all know was great, but then when you realize the what greatness he brought out of others and also the emotion that you feel because there's an emotion and sadness that goes with Gene Wilder because when Gilda died he was married to Gilda Radner when Gilda died he basically he appeared in a couple other films maybe two or three other movies nothing in the last 20 years and he basically there was an element of sadness like we lost Gene Wilder even though he only died today we lost him in all those years we could have seen him. There's an element of sadness to that. And I was trying to make a parallel, and I realized who he was in the world of baseball. He was Lou Gehrig. Steady Lou Gehrig. Always reliable Lou Gehrig. And bringing the best out of everybody else around him, Lou Gehrig. And overshadowed by Ruth at the beginning of his career and by DiMaggio at the end of his career. And yet, Ruth was never better than he, when he was with Garrick. And DiMaggio had his greatness emerge 
with Garrick. And that you saw year in and year out. And, and when you think about the great Yankee legends, people will mention Gehrig. But they almost don't think of that as a, that's an era of Ruth, then the era of DiMaggio, and the era of Mantle. He almost gets passed over. He almost People almost overlook him in terms of his legacies, and in terms of what he brought to the team, and in terms of what he was. He seemed to be the number two guy behind Ruth for most of his career in that shadow. And DiMaggio was the one who took over the great spotlight into the next decade. But when you actually look at what he did year in and year out, you could make the case that DiMaggio and Ruth were not the offensive player that Garrick was during his prime. When you look at the, I mean, the home run totals are incredible. The RBI totals are amazing. He would be have an on-base percentage every year in the high 400s. He slugged 706 in 1934. He consistently, year in and year out, if you just look at his OPS, just look at his damn OPS. Do you know what his career OPS was? 1.080. That's, that's for his career. For, you know, it's, it's technically 17 years, but, I mean, let's face it, the last year was only eight games, and he had cups of coffee in 23 and 24, so that's really 14 years. 14 years where he you know, hit 493 home runs in 14 years. He batted 340. That's his career average, his career slugging, his career slugging is 632. That year in and year out, on a team with Ruth, would drive in more runs, would score more runs, would get more hits, would have the higher on-base percentage, and was the most reliable offensive force and playing game in and game out. And of course, there was the sadness at the end of his career, as it was cut short by Lou Gehrig's disease, and a sense of, could that career have gone on longer? I mean, when you take a look at the fact that when he gave his luckiest man on the face of the earth speech, he was 36. The year before, which was a down year for him, with his 29 home runs and a 9.32 OPS, if he had remained healthy, he could have played for maybe four or five more years. I don't think that's really stretching anything. He would he would easily have 600 home runs. And, you know, be playing into the 1940s. Instead, it was cut short by his, you know, by his death. And Gene Wilder's career, in many ways, was cut short by not his death, but by Gilda's death and his un his lack of enthusiasm for wanting to do anything else. Not that he owed us a damn thing, but could you imagine if someone, some director, someone could have found the way to tap into the genius of Gene Wilder in a similar way that Tarantino revised Travolta's career or Wes Anderson found the best ways to utilize Bill Murray? 
Wilder was one of the Giants. Not the New York or San Francisco Giants, one of the comedy Giants. And we lost him. And I really hope that people realize what a legacy he left behind. Just like I really hope baseball fans don't just think of Lou Gehrig as the man who was the sidekick to Babe Ruth in many ways and gave the sad speech at the end of his life, but an extraordinary figure in Yankee history and in baseball history. And someone who, well, took the, I hate to use the term mantle, because it has so many other connotations with the Yankees, took the torch and kept the dynasty and kept the legacy of the Yankees going after Ruth ran out of gas. Gene Wilder equals Lou Gehrig, both in terms of their legacy and how sometimes people cut their legacy a little bit short. And I hope that's not the case moving forward. I'm a little sad, kind of like when Harold Ramis died. I felt like Gene Wilder was one of those people that I someday was going to meet. Now I won't. Rest in peace, Mr. Wilder. Well, I'm late to the party on this one, but rest in peace, Mr. Gehrig, as well. Go to MLBReports.com to see the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the 30th day of August 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.